It was my privilege to dedicate those uh, kids and families to the Lord. That was a special treat for me. I always really enjoy baby dedication services. I know it's uh, it's a crazy morning always for the moms and dads, getting getting everything just right, getting all the family there, getting the pictures just so. So, uh, but know that uh, this is more than just a, a great Kodak moment. This is this is a moment before the throne of God. Amen. A moment before the throne of God where we say, Lord, these are your families. They're not. They're not for our own ambitions. They're for you. And these children are for you. I also want to make mention of uh, what happened just this past week before we uh, open up the word today. Uh, This past Thursday, many of you uh, came, thousands came, to commemorate the National Day of Prayer in uh, Southern Orange County. Uh, there were there was an estimate of about uh, 4,000 Christians that came out in mass to the Pataki Center in Mission Viejo. Coast Bible Church was one of uh, 60 churches that participated. We also had a, a prayer tent. There were these tents with different topics on them. Our tent was prayer for the persecuted church which is something that's, that's really near and dear to our heart as a church family. And I got to say, uh, Jeannie and Colleen uh, worked wonders in the office, and they put the b- most beautiful prayer tent together. We had hundreds and hundreds of people coming by, taking stories of Christian men and women who are right now in prison for their faith. And we had hundreds coming by, picking up a story, reading it, and praying right there on the spot. It was, uh, it was a beautiful moment. Yes. It was a, a special moment, too, for S- Southern Orange County. I appreciate Pastor Mike Miola of Mission Viejo Christian Church, whose church sponsored that effort. Uh, it took hundreds and hundreds of people to set up the fields and to prepare for it, but it was well worth the effort effort and uh, as i had made mention in my uh, in my my email to the church family just days prior you know elijah was the one who prayed for no rain and a drought came and elijah was later the one who prayed for rain and the rains came from heaven that was back, of course, in Old Testament times with King Ahab of Israel. But today it's ironic that we're in a drought too in California. But I would argue not just a physical drought, but a spiritual drought in our nation. And so as we pray, and as we prayed on Thursday, we are in the spirit of Elijah before King Ahab. We are asking God for times of refreshment again. Not just to cure a physical drought in California but a spiritual drought in our nation. And that's something we're still praying for, and we won't stop praying for. In fact, I'd like us now to just to stand together as we open up this time in prayer. Let's stand and let's go before the Lord, asking for continued blessings upon our nation. Heavenly Father, Lord, you heard our prayers on Thursday as we commemorated the National Day of Prayer. And thousands, Father, came humbly before you to just get on their knees and to pray to you, Lord, for times of refreshment again. Father, uh, we confessed that this nation has gone quite a ways away from you, especially in recent years. And God, we pray, God, that you would hear, hear the confession of we, your people, And know, Lord, that we are a representative of many in this nation who know that we've been going in the wrong direction. 
We confess that to you. We ask that you'd show us your grace and your favor again. We believe that this nation can turn around. And we gather on Thursday because of that belief. And today again we stand. We ask for your blessing. For times of refreshment to come upon the United States of America. That this nation would be a beacon of hope. That it would start, Lord, in the families with the mothers and the fathers as they teach their children and raise up the next generation. Father, we know this is, a, this is a turning point of sorts. This is a great moment. It's a great time to be alive and to see the things that we're seeing. But Father, we also know that the time is short and we want to make the most of it. So Lord, guide our efforts as a church. Guide our efforts as individual Christians who stand now knowing full well, Lord, that the time is short. Help us, Father, to change, to change our own hearts, change the hearts within this community, within this state, within this nation. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I have great hope that our nation can turn things around. I really believe that. I have uh, dreams that our nation can see another revival, another great awakening one day. And on this uh, Mother's Day, I think it's especially uh, noteworthy that we recognize that it is the next generation that, that carries that dream, that carries that hope forward. In fact, I want to just throw out the question to you moms in the audience today, those of you who are mothers, what, what are your dreams for the next generation? What are your dreams for your children Think about that, moms and dads, for that matter. What are your dreams for your children? For many of us, when we think about our dreams and our hopes for our children, we may, maybe instinctively think, well, I hope that they'll get married one day, that they'll have a family of their own. And of course, that's a, a very worthwhile dream, a very worthwhile goal. But some of us, we might also think, oh, I hope, my, I hope my child achieves something. I hope my child goes to college and gets a degree, gets a diploma. Oh, I hope my child gets a great job one day, a well-paying job, something that's fulfilling, a great achievement in work, in vocation. Perhaps some parents out there, we even uh, hope and dream for, for a measure of glory for our kids, that they, that they would be well-known for something that they did, that they would be, make great contributions to society, that people would look upon our kids and go, oh yes, this great accomplishment, this, this, great, this great speaker, this great leader, that they would recognize our children as someone who was famous for good. These are things we think about as, as parents, dreams that we have for them, achievements, glory, maybe even to become famous for what they do with their lives. These are things we think about in the West. These are things that Christians in the West have the luxury of dreaming about. These are among the first things we dream about for our kids. But in many other places, in the East, in the Middle East, in Northern Africa, in Eastern Europe, and nearly all of Asia, were you to ask a mother, what's your dream for your child? 
the first thing that she would think of would be much different than us. Were you to ask a mother from the East, what do you dream for your child? Her first answer would not be matters of achievement or glory. It would be a lot simpler than that. A mother of the East would dream of a world of peace for her son or daughter. She would ask God to give peace to her children, to let her children live in peace. For without peace, all other dreams and hopes that we have for our children are meaningless. There's one woman from the East who knows this all too well today. A Pakistani Christian woman named Elishba Bibi, 28 years of age, was three months pregnant when she was stripped naked and beaten by two Muslim men in Sheikhupura, the same town that Asia Bibi stems from, a woman whom we've been praying for, a woman who was persecuted by Muslims as well. This story comes from the British Pakistani Christian Association. According to the BPCA, this attack upon Elishba Bibi, who was 28 and three months pregnant, took place when two Muslim women refused to pay Elishba for beauty services that she rendered them. An argument ensued, and two male relatives of the Muslim women came. They came upon the scene, and they decided to preserve the honor of their female relatives and they decided to attack the Pakistani Christian woman, Elishba. The BPCA reports, quote, they beat her with iron rods and sticks leaving welts across her body while they spat at her in disgust. The assailants were not satisfied with her public humiliation and they stole a thousand rupees, that is twelve dollars, from her. Elishba's entire week's wages. They also stole a gold necklace which she was wearing and a mobile phone. BPCA says that a local group of Muslims watched the beating, laughing at the disgraced Christian. Quote, they felt no remorse or pity and let her trudge home alone trying to cover herself in what little had been left of her clothes, throwing stones at her for good measure. The attack was so brutal that Elishba Bibi has now miscarried and has been weeping constantly for the child that she lost. The British Pakistani, Pakistani Christian Association says that local police have been accused of fudging the investigation deliberately in attempts to exonerate the perpetrators of the crime. Meanwhile, the family of Elishba have received several threats from Muslims telling them to drop the charges or face harassment or even death. Without peace, all other hopes and dreams for our children are meaningless. We must have peace. Thank God we live in a nation and a part of the world where we can experience a measure of peace and safety 
where a mother's first dream doesn't have to be that her children will survive another day. But this is not so in so much of the world today, particularly for Christians living in the East, in the Middle East, Northern Africa, Eastern Europe, and much of Asia. They live in constant fear and persecution. And we, we as a church, remember them in prayer, and we will increasingly find ways to support them with direct aid and with raising awareness of their plight, both in our community and to the leaders of our nation who have the power to do something about it. But I want to say today on Mother's Day that if the next generation of our children do not begin to turn this nation back to God, then the dreams we have for our children won't be about their achievements or their glory, but it will be of begging God to keep them safe in an increasingly evil world. We think and suppose that stories like Elishba Bibi in Pakistan are far removed from us. We think and suppose that dreams for survival and just to live another day are dreams that would never come over on these shores. But I believe full well we are nearing the end of the age. I believe the signs are superfluous around us. And anyone with eyes to see and ears to hear must recognize the great climax of the moment at which we're living. Our dreams for our children, achievements, glory, wonderful dreams, they could be reduced tomorrow to survival and to live another day if we don't turn this nation around. In his gospel, Luke repeatedly writes of Jesus' dream for the children of Israel. But then he also writes of Jesus' ever-growing realization that that dream was fading due to sin and stubbornness in the nation of Israel. Jesus had a dream too for the people of Israel. But Luke also recognizes the ever-fading nature of that dream as he writes his gospel. I want to take you through three passages before we get to our primary text today. They're listed on your outline. These are, in the early parts here, these are the dreams that Jesus had for the children, the people of Israel. At the top, Jesus is fading hope for peace for the children of Israel. Look at Luke 13, 34. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house, Jerusalem, is left to you desolate. Notice the mother-to-child metaphor that's beginning to take place in Jesus' words, in his dreams for the children, the people of Israel. 
Look at another one, Luke 19, verse 41. As Jesus drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, Jerusalem, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and leave you and your children within you, level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And now a final warning, this time right before the death of Christ. As he's walking up, uh, uh, he had just dropped the cross and uh, 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 the, the Simeon of Cyrene had picked up the cross and had walked onward. And Jesus looked and turned to the daughters of Jerusalem, to the women who were weeping and lamenting. And this is what it says in Luke 23. And a great multitude of the people followed Jesus and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Hold on. This is Jesus walking on the way to Calvary, bloodied, beaten, broken, about to die. And this is what he says to the women who are lamenting for him. Verse 28, Jesus turning to them says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren. Blessed are wombs that never bore. Blessed are breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. It would be better, Jesus says, for the daughters of Jerusalem to be barren than to raise children in a wicked city and nation that is about to reap what it has sown. Something awful was about to befall Jerusalem. All the signs, all the signs were pointing to imminent judgment of the people. It's men, it's women, it's children. Our primary text this morning in Luke 21 recounts what Jesus said was definitively going to happen to the people of Israel. This is the fate of the men, women, and children of Jerusalem. Luke 21, verse 20. Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of Jerusalem, let them depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. 
And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. That is the fate of Jerusalem that Jesus saw, that he prophesied. And that occurred less than four decades later in 70 AD. You can read about it. Uh, You can read about the atrocities that were done, not just to the men of Jerusalem, but to the women and to the children and to the unborn. You can read about them in ancient history. Josephus, Tacitus, many others wrote of it. You don't want to read those quotes. The story I shared with you about Elishba Bibi in Pakistan pales in comparison to what they did to the women and children of Jerusalem. You say, Pastor, gosh, uh, this is Mother's Day. Pastor, uh, there's, a, there's a manual about preaching on Mother's Day. And it says, you know, warm and cozy. It says, uh, love and grace. Uh, you don't preach uh, about the end of the age on Mother's Day. And I, I read that manual and I've obliged that manual. In fact, if, if, uh, if this message disappoints you, I will encourage you to go back and look at the archives of previous Mother's Day sermons and you will find warm and cozy, love and grace. You'll find what you're looking for there. Today, I, I couldn't do it. Today, I wanted to give a charge to the families, to the moms and the dads, to the grandparents, to all here, because all here are responsible for our kids. I want to give a charge, and I want to suggest that this nation is on the precipice. It's on the edge of going the way of Jerusalem. This nation is on the edge of going the way of Jerusalem as in the time of Christ. There are too many stories to recount. Last, uh, last week we had mentioned a number of stories in which Christians are being persecuted today. I had given one example um, about homosexual marriage and how the issue of homosexual marriage actually has unbelievable rippling effects that most Christians don't realize. But I want to give you another example of what's happening today in our nation, particularly in our state. There's a new bill before the Assembly and the Senate of California, AB 775. Has anyone heard of it? A few. We don't often hear of it because um, they try to keep this information from us. This bill, AB 775, if I'm getting the number correct, uh, is a bill that mandates, mandates, Commands, demands compliance. It demands that any pro-life pregnancy center in all of the state of California, of which we have one down the street, Obria, 
who, whom our uh, church supports and rallies behind. And we're going to be doing an event with them in about a month or so. I'll tell you about it soon. Obria, right down the street across from Saddleback College. They are a pro-life pregnancy center. They put on uh, you know, screenings. They'll do ultrasounds. They'll give counsel. They'll always encourage the women, particularly the high, young high school gals, young college gals that walk in there, even the, the dads as well. They'll always encourage them, hang on to this baby. This baby matters. We'll help you. We'll walk with you. We'll support you in this. Well, AB 775 that our state legislators are considering today would compel an organization like Obria to pass out materials directing those young moms that they also have an option to go to Planned Parenthood if they'd like. AB 775 mandates pro-life organizations like Obria that they must offer literature about abortive procedure. That they must offer literature about organizations that those women can go to to get an abortion. And that if they don't offer that literature in conjunction with the pro-life literature, that their organization will be shut down. Our state legislators are about to demand pro-life organizations. They're about to demand that they pass out abortion materials. Abortion options. Can you imagine that? Our nation, our state, is going the way of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And there was judgment upon Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Jesus says, the Roman army that came in 70 AD, then know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of her depart. Let those who are, who are uh, not, not those who are in the country yet, don't even come in to enter. For these are the days of vengeance, of punishment, of judgment, and that all these things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe, here it is, woe. To those, verse 23, who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Why is it? Why, why was there woe upon the, the pregnant women and upon those with nursing babies? Because they wouldn't be spared either. Think about my kids growing up in a nation and in a state that is walking further and further away from God. Am I so naive to suppose that they won't be affected by these changes? Am I, no, am I so naive to suppose that in the public schools, as they grow up, in the doctor's offices when they go there for a, a simple prescription, that they get fed some kind of misinformation about what they can do with their bodies, some kind of misinformation about what they can do with their pregnancies, some kind of evil and demented information that the state, our nation, wants to mother them and, and show them the way, this is how you do it, don't listen to your parents? Am I, are we really so naive to suppose that our children will not be affected? Jesus says in Luke 21, even the children, they won't be immune. The worst case scenario happened in, in Jerusalem, verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. That's worst case scenario. 
There's a whole lot of steps leading up to that, though. A whole lot of oppression, a whole lot of persecution. On Mother's Day, we need to look at our children and recognize that God has given them to us as a gift. And that God has put a huge responsibility on our shoulders, moms and dads, grandparents, all of us. It is our job to ensure that our kids do not grow up in a nation that goes the way of Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. There is hope. Look at the end of verse 24. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus says there in his prediction that there will be a time where it stops. There will be a time where all of this ends. And we can have hope in that. We don't need to despair. We don't need to to go forward and and just wonder, is it ever going to stop? It is going to stop. The persecution is going to stop. The oppression is going to stop. All of this is going to stop. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take until the end of the time of the Gentiles. What is the time of the Gentiles? Well, biblically speaking, the time of the Gentiles is from the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem all the way to the second coming of Christ. It is until Jesus Christ returns that we will have to endure some difficult times. But it will end. It will end. Amen? Nevertheless, like Jerusalem's fate, so also will be the fate of the world. I'm moving rather quickly here, 25 to 33. We covered much of this, much of these aspects of this in last week's message. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on earth, distress of nations, perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. But then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, Jesus Christ will return and set the world to right again. Now when these things begin to happen, verse 28, look up, lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That is to say, in the generation in which these things begin to take place, that same generation will see the end. I don't know if we're the last generation. Uh, I, I, can't, I can only speculate how many countless preachers like me stood up from, in pulpits across the world and said, we must be the last generation because look at all that's happening. I don't pretend to know that we're the last generation. I do believe strongly that we are very, very close. I don't know how we can't be. Jesus suggests that the generation that begins to see the end will by no means pass away till all these things take place. He says it's more sure that, that heaven and earth will pass away than my words, than this prediction, this prophecy will pass away. It will happen. And so we must prepare. And he gives us words a preparation. Verse 34.
take heed. But take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down. Weighed down with what? With carousing. With drunkenness. With the cares of this life. Take heed that your hearts not be weighed down with these things, carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life. If you do, then the day will come upon you unexpectedly, Jesus says. For it will come as a snare, verse 35, a trap on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is making it very clear here. Some of us will be carousing, drunk, worried about the cares of this world when all, this thing, all these things begin to take place. And some of us are doing that. The fact that only a few of you raised your hand in awareness of AB 775 is personally deeply troubling to me. I know not all of us are are very politically engaged. I know that. I know that it's impossible these days to be consciously aware of all that is happening in our community, in our state, in our nation. Lord knows what they're doing all over the place in high places. But friends, we've got a bill it's going to be going to the governor's desk soon that will command pro-life pregnancy centers to hand out abortion materials. Do you really think they'll stop there? When will be the day when uh, a prerequisite of our tax-exempt status as a church is that we too provide information that the state deems necessary? really think that's a big jump wake up wake up don't just be concerned about the cares of this life don't just be concerned about carousing and drunkenness and parties and celebration and bliss supposing that you can just check out this is not that time friends this is not that time The day of Jesus will come upon you unexpectedly if you are just concerned with remaining blissful, unaware of what is happening around us. Get engaged. Get involved. You don't need to be aware of all things, but pick some things. Pick abortion. Pick the sacred entity of marriage. Pick something in society that you can say, I'm going to stand for this. I'm going to know about this. I'm going to know how to defend it. I'm going to know how to act upon it. I'm going to know how to write my representatives or bring awareness to my community. Pick the persecuted church. Pick something that God has played on your heart and say, yes, this will be something that I am attuned to, that I am focused on, that I will raise awareness for, raise support for. What is it for you? Watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You know, that verse, verse 36, can be very careful depending on your theology. Um, I think, you know, what I would respond to, uh, to Jesus' words there when he talks about 
in verse 36, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Look, God is not willing that any should perish, that any should experience wrath, but that all might come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is our belief as a church, we believe uh, in the, the rapture of the saints. We believe that according to 1 Thessalonians 4, that all those who believe in Christ Jesus will be spared from the day of wrath. But there will be birth pangs. There will be labor pangs ahead of time. And there will be times of oppression and persecution ahead of that date of the rapture, of the taking of the saints to be with the Lord. And so we do need to be alert and aware and, and, and focused to be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man when He comes. That we might not be ashamed, 1 John 2.28, because some will be ashamed at Jesus' coming. Ultimately, we need, we need the peace of God. We need real safety. And I close with another mother-to-child metaphor, this time that Paul uses. This is where real peace and safety will guide our hearts. Paul writes this to the Thess- church in Thessalonica, verse 7 of chapter 2. He says, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her children... So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become so dear to us. Moms, you see, the mother-child metaphor there is is so beautiful that Paul uses in, in how he conducted himself to the church. A church, by the way, that was scared and fearful that they too were the last generation, that they were living in the last days. And Paul uses the mother-child metaphor, and he says, like a nursing mother, we affectionately longed for you. And this is how that affection came forth from Paul. He says, this is, how, this is how that affection was shown. I showed you the gospel of God. I was a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the first thing I did, Paul says, to show my affection for you. I gave you the key to life and real peace, and real safety, and real hope, and real dreams. Parents, the best gift you can give to your children is the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it be on your lips at all times. Speak to your children always about the grace of Jesus Christ, about his death, his resurrection, for the forgiveness of sins, to give us a second chance at life with him if we would but believe him for it. And then the second thing that Paul did, not just giving the gospel at all times, but he gave them his very life. He sacrificed his life on the altar for them. He did whatever it took to bring the gospel and to bring hope and peace to the church in Thessalonica and to countless communities across Asia Minor. That's what it might take for us too. We're going to go out with the gospel but we might have to go out with our very lives, sharing and, and, and giving of our lives, but also maybe one day sacrificing our very lives for the cause of Christ. For we know that as this nation goes the way of Jerusalem, there may be some dark days ahead. Peace for our children as we near the end. Peace for our children as we near the end.
What are your hopes and dreams for your kids? Are they about accomplishments? Are they about achievements? Are they about glory? Or are you becoming a little bit more sober in outlook? Are you starting to care a little bit less about the cares of this life and starting to recognize that the time is short and that we have a responsibility, moms and dads, grandparents and all, we have a responsibility to raise up the next generation so that this nation, this state, this community would not face the fate that Jerusalem did 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as a parent, Lord, I recognize that what I impart to my children now is of critical importance. And that first and foremost, God, as a father, my wife as a mother, the first thing on our lips is the gospel of Jesus Christ to our kids. Without which, Lord, there can be no peace. Beyond that, God, we as parents are recognizing that we're going to need to share our very lives. We're going to need to devote our very lives to our children as we raise them up in you. We may even need to sacrifice our jobs, our livelihood, our futures, our very lives because of what is coming ahead. We're concerned about this nation, Lord. We're concerned about its future. We're concerned about peace and safety. We're concerned how it's ever traveling further away from you. So Lord, on this Mother's Day, as mothers think about the nurturing care that they show to their children, as mothers think about how they cherish their children whom you have given to them, Lord, let us as a church, let us as a community also recognize and cherish and preserve with your truth the generation that you've entrusted to us, that our children would change this nation's course, that our mothers and fathers would be whole, wholly dedicated to you, casting off the cares of this world, alert, watchful, awake, not blissfully ignorant. Wake us up, Lord. Let us not go the path of Jerusalem in your day, Lord Jesus. Let us revive again. Let us resurrect again here in America. Another great awakening that our children and our children's children would have a bright and glorious future. And not a future in which they're just, we just call upon you to live another day. We want a better future than that. We're trusting you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.